Welcome to Movies Are Life. I'm your host, Nathan Chandler. Thanksgiving is upon us, and though many people wouldn't associate today's film, the 1982 film biopic Gandhi, as a traditional holiday film, I think it has tremendous ties to the reason we celebrate the holiday. Thanksgiving should be a time for being peaceful and thankful, and Gandhi was the embodiment of such things. Before we dive into this epic film, I want to welcome in today's guest, Cameron Olber. I think this will be fun because I do know Cameron, but I don't think it's wrong to say that we really don't know each other. Would that be a fair statement to say, Cameron? I mean, fair enough. I saw you at Yag State Conference taking pictures of me and everyone else. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I'm definitely a background person. So I feel like I know you more just through, you know, my wife, Whitney, than I do actually, you know, you yourself. (laughs) Yeah, there would be times where uh, I'd see this dude in the distance, and then I would connect the dots from Facebook. I'm like, oh, crap, that's that's Whitney's husband. That's kind of <laughs> Well, um, as we've kind of talked about, Cameron was a, a tremendous leader in one of Whitney's team programs a couple of years ago, and now is a student in Edinburgh, Scotland. So tell us a little bit about what you're, what, what you're studying over there and also what made you decide to go overseas for your undergraduate education? I think that's pretty cool. Oh yeah. So, I mean, half of studying at the university of Edinburgh is uh, correcting Americans on the pronunciation of Edinburgh. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I just, I just, Hey, I, I, I am, I am not uh, too prideful enough to say that I am horrible with <laughs> pronunciation. So please do correct me. <laughs> and well, yeah, no pressure with this movie with pronunciations of names. And stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, I do international relations at the university of Edinburgh. I'm a third year. Uh, and so I, uh, there was no one reason for me to go abroad, but the seed of it was planted when I went um, on this exchange program for about a month to live in Germany. Um, I lived in Berlin, Germany, and I had a German exchange partner, and I really enjoyed um, meeting and living in a foreign country and meeting people from different walks of life from all over the world uh, and having friends from foreign countries, which, you know, have a completely different perspective on life and everything. So that planted the seed. And then Edinburgh is a very international university, like 40 percent of the students come from outside the UK. So I said, screw it. Let's go. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. I, I I have traveled internationally, but a lot of it was in uh, Latin American countries. So I've never been on that that side of the world. Uh, you know, would always thought it'd be really neat to do so. That so I'm glad. Uh, yeah, I I I work with different students, and they sometimes do these uh, overseas programs, and I think it's great because you, you're picking the right time in life to do such things for sure. <laughs> I'd, I'd agree with that. I've met quite a lot of people from very different areas of the world. I mean, my friend or my flatmate is from the Republic of Georgia, uh, which is a completely different, um, you know, upbringing than anything I've ever had or dealt with. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we were messaging back and forth uh, about kind of what film to discuss. And you're the one that brought this film up. And I, I hadn't seen it before. Uh, I, I didn't know. I mean, I knew who Gandhi was, but honestly, um, maybe I just skipped the history lesson that day where we <laughs> talked about him. Honestly, we probably didn't talk. You know, I, I grew up in Texas, so it was probably a more heavily a Texas history based <laughs> more about the Alamo than maybe Gandhi. And so I, I was game for watching this movie because one. Uh, well, to learn more about him, um, but also this is a movie that won Best Picture in 1982. And mm-hmm. I think it's a film that people just don't talk about anymore. Um, and so I want to know uh, what made you pick this film. But before you do, just a little background on this film, if uh, people aren't familiar with it. But it um, Gandhi is a 1982 period film based on the life of, and I, I'm going to murder this, but Mohandas Gandhi. How did I do there? Pretty good. Pretty good. Okay. Um, He's a leader of a nonviolent Indian independence movement against the British Empire during the 20th century. This was a co-production between India and the United Kingdom, and it is directed and produced by Richard. Now I'm going to see you got got me in my head because now (laughs) it seems like you pronounce you pronounce his name very much (laughs) like where you are now. But uh, Richard Attenborough. Uh, most people would know him as Dr. Hammond from Jurassic Park. 
I, I don't know if you are familiar with the Jurassic Park movies, but um, well, I know, and, I'm, I'm an I'm an American, of course. I know about Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we can we can blame you know uh, John Hammond for you know the the franchise of the bad movies recently. But <laughs> uh, Gandhi is a British trained lawyer who forsakes all worldly possessions to take up the cause of Indian independence. Faced with armed resistance from the British government, Gandhi adopts a policy of passive resistance in order to win freedom for his people without resorting to bloodshed. This film received a leading 11 nominations at the 55th Academy Awards, winning eight more than any other film nominated that year, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actor for Ben Kingsley, now Sir Ben Kingsley. The British Film Institute ranked Gandhi as the 34th greatest British film of the 20th century. So going back to what I it was talking about earlier, uh, what what made you want to watch this film? And after watching it, do you think you would encourage others to watch it as well? So um, being an IR student, I like to take classes in, in this area in a field called area studies, which is literally just different parts of the world. Uh, and so I'm in a class called Understanding Indian Politics, and that's been my favorite class this semester. Uh, in part because my um, small group leader, which basically will have a lecture and then a small group that discusses what we talked about in the lecture. Um, my small group leader is a PhD student in Edinburgh University from India. And I conferred a lot with her before I came on here. So shout out to to you. I will keep your name out of it, but you're, you've been you've been great. Um, but so I grew up, my dad loved this movie. Okay. And so my brother would make fun of it. Uh, he said like, it's so long and so boring. And I just remember seeing a couple of different scenes in the movie. Um, and then coming back, when you reached out to me, I was like, oh, well, okay, I do IR. I'm really liking Indian politics. Um, this is a movie that I know uh, has to do a great, great deal with Indian politics. Screw it. I want to give it a watch because I hadn't seen it. I'd never seen the full movie. Um, so I was like, this is a perfect opportunity excuse to watch this thing. After watching it, is it do you see why <laughs> it was your uh, one of your dad's favorite films? Uh, I do. I mean, it's a really good, I think it's a fantastic introduction to India, to um, to Gandhi, and to the history, uh, or the end, rather, of colonization in India. Um, do I have complex thoughts on the movie itself, having studied Indian politics for so long? Yes. But I think it's a really good movie to watch, especially if you're not very well versed in Indian history or Indian politics. It's, I think it's a really good starting point. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I'd say that from somebody who <laughs> was really coming at a base level for this. And uh, like, a, it, it's been kind of weird. Uh, well, I have, I've been going through the uh, AFI greatest movies, uh, greatest hundred movies. Um, and on those lists are a lot of sprawling epics similar to this film. So mm -hmm. recently I've hit a lot of these like three hour plus movies like Lawrence of Arabia, Gone mm -hmm. with the Wind. And so it's always a little when you see the runtime, it's, it's a little daunting to you know throw yourself into it. But um, you're, you're mentioning, uh, mentioning how you kind of tease, tease your dad for, you know, it just being long and boring. And I actually... Mm -hmm. I would encourage people to watch it because I, I actually, especially <laughs> a movie dealing with someone who was against uh, nonviolence, uh, I, I did not think this movie was boring at all. And I, I thought it actually moved quite a bit, especially um, especially for all the ground it was trying to cover. Do, do you feel the same way? Yeah, it's a it's an odd double think because at one level, you know, it's a three hour movie. On the other level, it's like, oh my God, we're moving at a very brisk pace. You know, having, mm -hmm. you know, having learned about Gandhi and the Indian independence movement, I'm like, okay, we're in 1893. Oh, now we're in 1915. Oh, now it's 1930. Okay, let's keep going. So yeah. it's a double think of, yes, it's uh, a bit long, but also you're moving fast and there's a lot of things happening. Uh, and it's really good at developing all of those events, I think. Yeah. And, um, I, I don't know about you, but I um, and I know there's a lot tied into why he's such a, a revered figure in India. I was <laughs> I was totally digging his mantra and <laughs> his message of equality. And I 
I I really was touched. I I don't know if you do you know if a lot of these quotes in, in this I, I don't know how much to attribute to the screenplay versus what mm -hmm. the man had said himself. Do you know if a lot of these kind of quotes that stood out to me in this movie actually came from the man himself? That is a good question. There's a lot of you know myth making around Gandhi, and so there are a number of scenes in the movie that I know are uh, ahistorical, but are meant to symbolize the spirit or the sum total of things that Gandhi did. So I'm not, I'm actually, uh, I know a good deal more about Nehru, who is one of Gandhi's uh, right-hand men in the movie that we might talk about in a bit, than I know about Gandhi himself. So I can't say for sure about specific quotes, but I know that the movie does its best, and I think does a good job generally, of capturing the spirit and the sum total of um, things that Gandhi did or events that took place historically. Yeah, um, and I I was impressed by the movie once again, um, and I, I'm I feel like I'm making myself uh, sound dumb uh, while talking about this by not 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 knowing much about it. And it's really not that I, I do think it's a very intellectual movie, but I was also impressed by how it packaged everything uh the man himself and you know you alluded to the other figures that you know it's always you know it's never just one one person who truly makes mm -hmm. these movements happen there's there's a lot of uh, moving pieces and i i really liked how they built up these characters and even though you don't completely know or completely maybe even understand their motivation. I mean, we don't get their full backstory. I thought the mm -hmm. movie did a really good job of uh, building up these characters where you could still kind of place who everybody is. And that's really mm -hmm. hard in, uh, in a, a, a movie like this, I think. Definitely. Uh, and so, I mean, there's some areas in the movie where I'm thinking, it's not quite right. Nehru wasn't there then. Uh, but <laughs> uh, it does do, I think, a decent job of uh, situating those different characters as well. I will have, when we come to the point, I have some reservations about how it portrayed uh, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, the um, dude in the like monocle that you meet in like 1915, who had the big beautiful house and whatever, and the big garden that they all hung out in. But I appreciated that it, uh, you know, featured those characters and it, it didn't necessarily minimize them, which I was a little bit worried that it might do. Right. No. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, another thing that um, I I think is important for people to uh, watch these type of epic films, just uh, in the sheer amazement of how they pulled off these productions, um, even even if you don't think you can watch uh, the full three hours of this movie. Uh, and this is not a spoiler, but, you know, it basically starts off with this assassination of Gandhi, but the funeral scene is just pretty breathtaking to watch because of how many extras that they had mm -hmm. uh, for this scene. And we, you know, and I completely understand why, you know, these days that just wouldn't happen because it's just so much more cost effective to <laughs> digitally and enhance crowds and large groups of people. And, you know, and, and because of that, we have gotten a lot of movies where we see these, you know, I quote unquote, see these large groups of people. And, um, and so it, it, we kind of like become desensitized to like, you know, somebody, a producer could come in now and I, I think even pitch a movie like Gandhi and they think they they could do it because they're like, oh, yeah, we could, you know, we could take a pocket of these people and then we can multiply them across these, scene, you know, green screens and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, just the fact that they were willing to take on this movie and to really, you know, showcase um, the the people in this country. I, it, to me, it was pretty amazing. I, I, I don't know if you got that. You got overwhelmed by that sense at all. I did notice that. I thought uh, in the funeral scene, it's been a tiny bit since I watched that movie, but yeah, no, the funeral scene uh, or scenes like the salt march uh, yes. to a, or the um, the massacre scene. Uh, it's a fantastic... In some ways, this movie is rather 80s in that there are some interesting like I don't know, acrobatics that I think, yeah, that's a telltale 80s movie sign. 
And uh, one of them is, you know, extensive use of extras because there's not CGI really, um, barring like a couple movies from like the late '80s. Uh, and so it's a really cool, it's a really cool accomplishment. I was, I was, I was impressed. Yeah. Um, and uh, speaking as such, kind of going into the acting part of this, I mean, Ben Kingsley is amazing as Gandhi, and you know, like I said, I, I've just I've seen, you know, images of the man and that sort of thing. But even after watching the film and kind of digging into some, some things online, I mean, mm -hmm. the resemblance is pretty uncanny. And I, I was reading that a lot of, uh, when they were making the film that a lot of the extras who actually, uh, were around when Gandhi was alive, like they were basically doing double takes because <laughs> they thought they were seeing the real life Gandhi again. Yeah. But I, um, I mean, it's cliche to say when somebody disappears into a role, but you know, the, to me, this role is not uh, really a showy uh, type of role. Um, and uh, just the subtle nuances of portraying this quiet, but powerful, resistant man. I, it, it is, I mean, it's one of those where, you know, when you finally read that, you know, he won the best actor. Uh, for this, it's just one where you're like, oh yeah, definitely. It's not, it's not something you're like, oh, well, that's weird. I wonder why that, you know, uh, did, uh, how did you feel about his performance? I mean, more or less what you said, he, his portrayal is almost uncanny. Um, something that's interesting is that um, Ben Kingsley's father is of uh, Gujarati descent. And so right. Gujarat is the state in India where Gandhi was born. Um, and his father is uh, was born in, I believe, Kenya, modern day Kenya, but is descended from that same region of India. Um, and so his, his ancestry is a little bit interesting to think about when you see him and how he's portraying uh, this figure. But yeah, no, I mean, when it comes from a casting perspective, especially for 1982, uh, they, they hit the nail on the head, I think with that one. Yeah. I, I, I actually, uh, was at first I, I was kind of because I knew I've seen Ben Kingsley in a lot of things and I was kind of thinking I was like you know I know early 80s different time period but still you know and thankfully uh productions are a lot more uh sensitive with like who is representing what cultures and such but at first you know I've just mentally associated Ben Kingsley with you know uh England <laughs> you know mm -hmm. Sir Ben Kingsley and so I was like oh is that like how do how do you know indians feel about this man playing this role and then quickly before i even started the movie digging into his actual family history and i was like oh okay cool like they they actually did <laughs> did get it correct like as you as you referenced mm -hmm. yeah i was a little worried about that too but on my tutorial <laughs> leader when we when we were discussing this movie she said yeah you know there was a little bit of worry about you know a white english actor portraying this guy but Maybe that that critique holds a little bit less water, at least perhaps, given his descent and all that. Yeah, um, and uh, I I was interested, uh, kind of interested. I had mentioned like in the intro, uh, this was a movie that was funded is backed by um, that country, and for a film that basically depicts uh, them as not you know not in the greatest <laughs> positive light ever, you know I would. I guess, like, are you surprised that the film is so revered uh, in that country, even though it's about basically <laughs> the fact that they were, you know, uh, occupying this land uh, and not giving the people their independence? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that I can comment on that because, I mean, to be fair, I haven't in my uh, run-ins with, with British folk around here. A lot of them haven't seen it. Um, but it's an interesting that, that that's a joint venture. I mean, you know, it's, it's the 1980s. Uh, India is growing a little bit more significant on the world stage, especially in the eyes of the West. I think that it might, maybe it's a uh, effort, at least culturally by British institutions to reach out and see about uh, decolonizing their, uh, you know, structures to a certain degree. Um, so I guess I'm not completely surprised given the cult, given the times, but it's, it's noteworthy perhaps, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you, you alluded to a couple of scenes uh, that kind of 
kind of stand out. And I do want to hit on those, but uh, what what are some things that you did just really like in the movie, or, or are there like particular scenes that jumped out to you? Yeah. So one of my favorite scenes uh, is the is a, is a series of scenes when right when Gandhi has gotten back to India and says to Congress party leaders, uh, you know, I don't really know India. And his advice to, okay, we'll go out and see the real India. Um, and he can contrast that with the leaders like Nehru and uh, Jinnah, uh, who are, you know, in Western suits and attire and all that, especially when they're speaking in that tent and talking about how the time has come for home rule and this and that. Um, which is the, the fact is that at that time period, 1915, 1919, the Congress party is quite elitist. And one, uh, I mean, you know, uh, Jenna was educated in London. Uh, Nehru was, Cambr was uh, educated at Cambridge. Gandhi himself was educated at University College London. Um, mm -hmm. And so one of uh, Gandhi's greatest accomplishments, probably the single greatest accomplishment, is marshalling, is turning this home rule movement into a true mass movement. Because uh, this is a time where, oh, I don't know, 70, 80% of the entire population of India is illiterate. So Gandhi is operating this journal, is talking about, you know, we need home rule, blah, 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 blah. People can't read it. And so mm -hmm. the ability uh, to create this mass, mass nonviolent movement uh, and turn it from an elitist movement among a circle of educated, wealthy individuals to a true mass movement uh, of everyday people is no mean feat, especially in 1920s India which is not the most developed place. Right. Yeah. Just Gandhi being the man who, I mean, he really made himself, you know, uh, part of the people, you know, he was representing <laughs> this large group and that's just something you don't see, see anymore, you know, somehow, especially in America, big business has become the staple of like what, you know, is being represented. And that's just from a percentage basis it's just not a true representation of the people of even this country and so that was something that yeah like as you mentioned especially the time period in these you know the early 1920s is it you know it's quite astounding of just how to create this movement um without modern technology mm -hmm. you know you contrast this movement that is largely urban educated elites with uh, and uh, Gandhi reaching out to a very, very heavily agricultural rural country. I mean, at this time, there isn't really an India, right? You've got India referred to, you know, the broader subcontinent, sure. But talking about creating a country, it's like, out of what? I mean, to this day, the, eighth, the Indian constitution recognizes 22 official languages of government. And... You've got Hindi, but you've also got Tamil, Gujarati, Kashmiri, on and on and on. Languages that aren't necessarily the most related to each other, especially in the southern part of India. Um, and so the ability to unite people who don't, who don't speak the same language, who haven't had a unified country in hundreds of years around an idea, and then keep that movement nonviolent in the face of violence from your colonial oppressors is quite something else yeah it's it's amazing and i, I just i i really I, I can't you may you might can school me if i'm wrong but i i can't quite think of a, a movement that's happened like that since has there been i mean this was the first time uh the whole yeah. nonviolent resistance thing is the first time this that whole paradigm it's an entirely new paradigm in international politics in 1915-1920, um, which is astonishing that it worked as well as it did. Yeah, and I, 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 I just love the the scene. You know, basically they've come back and they they almost uh, <laughs> pressuring Gandhi to say like, how you know, how are we getting? How are we going to strike by, strike back? And I, I love this quote: "An eye for an eye only ends up making the whole world blind." Yeah. And I, I just, the, just an amazing like outlook, but also it, it's a very like simple 
message. Like it's very understandable. And it also just make, it just makes sense. You know, it's, it's, it's the violent acts, even though they seem more showy, it's so much, it's the easier, the easier thing to do uh, to get your point across. Uh, but, you know, I think this movie shows that through nonviolence and through, you know, peaceful demonstrations, it, it actually almost it disrupts the apple cart, so to speak, <laughs> way more than the violent acts do. Yeah, I mean, it also <clears throat> the nonviolence movement in India. The British colonialism was oftentimes justified by saying, you know, we're going to go in and civilize these people. We're on a mission to civilize. We're going to you know do development and all that stuff. And then when you have this nonviolent movement which is also a non-cooperation movement. I mean, it's not just we're going to go sit in and protest for a day and then it'll be that. You know, we're going to prevent the buses from running. We're going to prevent all this stuff, daily life from happening. And we're not going to punch you, but we're going to disrupt you and we're going to disrupt your life. And eventually you're not going to rule us. Uh, is It does a great job, I think, of juxtaposing both the movie and the real movement, of juxtaposing the you know, civilization and, you know, we're going to civilize you rhetoric with the reality, which is eventually the British would resort to violence. And then it's like, well, who is really in need of civilization, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and kind of speaking of uh, these nonviolent movements, uh, this, so the scene is kind of early on and they're marching and, uh, the British come at them uh, with the horses and they all lie down on the gra ground uh, yeah. to not be trampled. Um, did you know that was something that would work against uh, horses? I uh, So I didn't know that would work against horses. I knew that a military tactic historically had been to, if a bunch of horses were charging, you just point your spears at them because horses aren't stupid. And, you know, they're not going to charge into a bunch of pointy sticks. Um, I didn't know that worked against horses. I was wondering about the historicity of that, but fair enough, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So I went down the, this like, you know, Google rabbit hole <laughs> about it all. And I just thought this, I, I, I don't know specifically where I got this uh, from this uh, site, but I thought it was really funny because um, it, it said uh, horses will, combat horses will instinctively do everything they can to avoid stepping on someone who is sitting or laying down. That's because their legs are easily broken if they step on something soft and squishy like a person and they know it. I just like the fact that they, uh, they basically correlate uh, as human beings as soft and squishy. <laughs> I do find that interesting as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, another scene, of course, uh, that I think really stands out. And I think uh, this being a PG movie, I mean, it very much feels like a PG movie up to this, uh, this scene. And you had, uh, uh, you had reference to it earlier, but just the, when the, the British just fire upon all these civilians. Um, and I th the movie said, and I don't know, uh, you may know the more uh, history of this in the movie, they said, uh, 1,516 casualties where they just open fired on these group of people. That seemed to me, I just, I was, um, my, my jaw was like dropped to the ground. I was like, I can't, this is crazy. I can't believe this happened. Yes. The Jolly and Walla Bog massacre. And I probably completely butchered that as well. I, I did a bit of a deep dive into that and everything that scene portrays happened. Wow. Uh, they, the British commander did purposely corral people into a, enclosed space um with only one exit and then put his soldiers in front of the exit and then told them to start shooting um, and that is i mean that's one of the scenes that i remember most as a kid in particular i remember the hearing afterwards where the general says well we were happy to help anyone who applied and then one of the inquirers just very calmly asks you know how does a three-year-old girl apply for help um mm -hmm. And so I think that maybe the single best thing this movie does again is the juxtaposition between the, yes, we're, we're here to civilize with, but we're also going to corral you and shoot you if we really, really make us do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and 
the I I I felt so sad uh, for this movement uh, this movement when you know India finally gains its independence, but then basically it almost just shifts uh, to a civil war within the country uh, against the Hindus and the Muslims. And um, I, and I know that's, am I wrong in saying uh, that that's just still something that very much is an issue in, in the country? Okay. So uh, <laughs> the creation of Pakistan and all that is um, it's one of the things that it takes. I mean, I spent weeks studying this, so we're going to have an interesting time talking about that on this podcast, but I'll take <laughs> my back. Um, but yes, long story short, interreligious tensions within India are still a huge deal. I mean, one thing it's important to remember, India has the third largest population of Muslims of any country in the world. Uh, approximately, I think it's like 200 million. Um, and there are, I mean, to this day, there are riots, uh, discrimination can happen, uh, major major tensions that are unresolved. And then you've got, you know, Pakistan and India, two states that have fought three wars, four wars, actually. Um, both of them are nuclear armed. Both of them view each other with huge suspicion. Um, so yeah, the ending scenes are some of the ones that I was the most excited to talk about because there's, there's, there's so much there. Obviously, this is about Gandhi's life, so they kind of had to leave it <laughs> kind of where where it was at. But it did feel like the subject matter could have, uh, you know, it's weird to say spawned a sequel of Gandhi. But, it, you know, you do feel like kind of left with like, oh, gosh, there's <laughs> there's even a, uh, you know, bigger story that <laughs> that mm-hmm. will be moving forward from this point. Mm-hmm. No, partition is a whole, whole subject. Um I mean, depending on how long you want to have me, we can talk about some of the history of where the idea came from. Uh, but, I mean, the, the trauma of partition. You know, originally, the movement was not trying to get two countries. Uh, originally, the idea was that there would be some kind of unified subcontinent. Um, and there were divisions within the Indian independence movement that the movie didn't really portray that... Uh, were that ultimately led the British to conclude that the best thing to do would be to split the country up. And this gets to one of the craziest things that, that I'm you're just gonna have to believe that this happened, right? The border between India and Pakistan was drawn by a British judge named Cyril Radcliffe, who had never been east of India, or had never been east of Paris, never mind having ever been to India. It was announced that there would be two different countries five weeks before it actually happened. And then when the day came, it was just like, you know, September 14th, uh, or it might have been August 14th, but on the 14th of the month, August 14th, on August 14th, you know, British Raj, uh, midnight on August 15th. Okay, congratulations, you're your own country. Have fun. Goodbye. Uh, So... Of course, there's going to be chaos. Of course, there's going to be massive confusion. The line went through villages, villages that had been a unified thing for hundreds of years, were suddenly arbitrarily put on two different sides of the border and said, "This half of the village is in the Muslim country. This half is in the Hindu country. Just make it work." Gosh. Of course, there's going to be massive carnage. What are you talking about, you guys? I still get mad at the British over that. And I, I mean, and it's so sad that, I mean, you could tell, and I thought this movie did a good job of representing uh, how much uh, Gandhi was trying uh, to stop this divide, which, you know, it seemed like there were pockets of times where it happened. But I mean, just so sad that this man, you know, somebody felt like they had to assassinate a 78 year old man. I just, it, it is, it is pretty tragic. And, um, there's a funeral scene, you know, at the beginning of the movie, but um, I I thought they did a good job of just kind of leaving it where it was at and you to just reflect upon uh, what we, what he did with his time, you know, on this earth. Um, I I, I thought, I thought they handled everything uh, 
really well. It, it was a very introspective way to end the film, which I think is really symbolic of what the man stood for. <laughs> I mean, the role Gandhi plays during Partition is kind of astounding. I mean, the words my tutor used was astounding. Um, the During Partition, Gandhi is sort of stationed on the border between India and Bangladesh. And Bangladesh is another majority Muslim country that was originally part of Pakistan. And the violence there, I mean, there was violence there, and it was tragic. But the violence in eastern India slash Bangladesh really pales in comparison to the violence in the west of India slash on the border with Pakistan. Mm, uh, yeah. And there is some consensus among historians that had Gandhi been in the west, that section of India might have looked very differently, or at least the violence or lack thereof might have been very different. Uh, and so then when you finally do get to the scene where Gandhi is assassinated, it's it does do a good job, I think, of having you reflect on the fact that politics keeps going and human history keeps going even when these figures die. And nothing, I mean... Gandhi puts it very well in the in the movie itself. He says, you know, um, we will have our problems, but they will be our problems. And mm. people would generally prefer bad government of themselves as opposed to good government imposed upon them by someone far away. Just kind of from a movie perspective, was there anything that you didn't like or didn't think worked in this film? Thank you for spe uh, specifying from a movie perspective, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, because you know me. Uh, no, but from a movie perspective, I think that it's a very coherent story. I think the themes are really strong throughout. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I thought from a movie perspective didn't really work. Uh, well, maybe one thing is the, you know, when... I don't know, maybe you're like 80% of the way through and Jenna, you know, turns to Gandhi and says, there's going to be two countries. One is India and one is Pakistan. That feels like it comes a little bit out of the blue. You know, there wasn't, mm. to me at least, there wasn't a ton of, uh, you know, build up to that or background of that. Uh, but that's maybe the only thing I can think of really. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, mainly any kind of issues you had or more from a historical standpoint. <laughs> oh, well, there's several. Uh, <laughs> um, to start, I think the movie does Jenna a little bit dirty. Um, Jenna, the one who says, you know, we're going to have India and we're going to have Pakistan. And then you have Gandhi sort of pleading with Jenna to you know, go so far as to say, I'll make you the prime minister of India. Um, you know, historically speaking, Jinnah was, Muhammad Ali Jinnah was a very politically astute, reasonable man who had legitimate reasons to be worried about the future of Muslims in a unified India. Um, there were promises from the Indian National Congress that were broken during elections in the run-up to, um, to independence. There were, uh, as Historians kind of agree that there's relatively little effort by a lot of Congress party members, not necessarily Gandhi, but other Congress members, to understand the concerns of Muslims and of the Muslim League, which is the sort of faction that Jenna led. Uh, so I feel like, I mean, and to be fair, it's completely reasonable why the movie makes those omissions. It's because it's a three-hour movie as it is to a largely Western audience. You are not going to capture the uh, you know, vagaries of the Indian state in a movie. And that's fine. I don't, know, it doesn't, I don't think it has to. But as someone who said in Indian politics, I noticed that. Um, you know, something else is it doesn't really talk about Gandhi's complex relationship with the Indian caste system. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know how far you want me to delve into that, but for any further reading for anyone who's interested, Gandhi, Gandhi's role in that is not the most stellar. And the movie didn't really bring in that, you know, at all. And it makes sense again why it didn't, but right. something to remember. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, well, uh, 
kind of a awkward uh, transition, but uh, there's a segment <laughs> that I have called movie musings. And so these questions are a little bit not as serious as the subject matters we've been talking about, but are you, are you game to answering some of these? Sure. Why not? Let's go. Movie musings. A big part of this movie is uh, the fact that Gandhi hum homespun a lot of his clothing. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of made me think, uh, uh, are you a crafty person or a do-it-yourself kind of person? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think you've probably sewn your own clothes before, but like if something breaks, are you, do you like to get in there and do it yourself? Or uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my close friend Haley actually did teach me how to sew buttons onto my coat the other day because oh. uh, buttons fell off. So I, I do my best, but I'm nowhere near as good about this as I should be. Um, <laughs> I don't cook as often as cook for myself as often as I wish that I could. Um, I, I use the excuse that I'm a university student and I'm always up late, but now, um, uh, it's uh, sadly, there's not as, there's not as, uh, even as many decorations in my flat as I, as I wish that I had. <laughs> well, and I, re I read that, uh, uh, Ben Kingsley actually didn't have a, tr didn't have uh, many issues learning how to ha uh, hand spin the clothing, like, but it was delivering lines and doing it at the same time where he really struggled. Yeah. I, I was impressed that he just even learned how to do it, but yeah, uh, to me, I'm like, yeah, that, that gives you the Oscar immediately. If you can do those two, <laughs> if you can do those two things. <laughs> I was impressed that he was actually spinning clothing throughout. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was some kind of prop or something. I know it is crazy. Okay, so a second question for you: Have you have you ever fasted before? <laughs> well, you say that. Uh, I used to have this thing when I was a kid, where I would try to eat as little as possible in the like two or three days leading up to Thanksgiving, so that I could eat more during Thanksgiving. <laughs> and my mom kept on telling me this is a really bad idea and not healthy, and I kept being like, I don't care. And I distinctly remember. I'd had very little to eat and then for like a day or two. And then we'd gone and watched Skyfall, the uh, James Bond movie with my like cousins and aunt. And my cousin had a giant thing of popcorn. And let's just say it broke my fast really, really, really fast. <laughs> it, it, it didn't take you very long. No, I was like, ah, buttered popcorn. Well, sorry, I guess I'll fast sometime, uh, sometime next year. Yeah. That, that was one thing. And I, I don't even quite have the answer to this. Um, and it, it might be because I, I um, oh gosh, I, the, the name of it's slipping, but it's a documentary uh, that I saw. Uh, it's, it's a famous hunger strike. Um, I want to say maybe in Ireland, um, but gosh, I'm butchering this, but anyway, I, I, I do feel like the depictions of Gandhi, like fasting, uh, it, it, it's something that's very hard to portray what the body goes through and that sort of thing. But I also in the same instance, didn't quite think the movie really <laughs> portrayed exactly what was going on. I, you know, it's kind of hard cause it's like yeah. him, him on a bed, but I, I still didn't quite, you know, I, I didn't feel quite the impact that it was probably intended to have. Do Am I off there? No, you're, you're right about that. Uh, you know, the, it's hard to emaciate Ben Kingsley for the sake of a movie. Um, I would prefer not to do that. But, you know, I mean, I kind of had to uh, realize that Gandhi is actually fasting until death every time he does this fast. He is saying, I will starve myself to death unless this thing changes. And eventually, and it, you know, eventually it would work. But it doesn't, I guess it's not quite that clear in the movie that that's what he's actually doing as opposed to just going without eating for some indeterminate period of time. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, and yeah, I understand, but yeah, totally like, you know, what you're doing in that instance. But I do think that's wearing something you might see in like in modern movies, if, you know, like Christian Bell had the role that he would, have, <laughs> you know, he would have actually probably starved himself to get, get himself to look that. <laughs> skinny yeah. or something like that and not yeah. that this movie needed that but uh it almost at one point i mean i kind of knew what was happening and i forgot what you know they threw out the the day 
uh, like how many days it had been. And I was like, Oh, okay. It, it, it's been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. Uh, but, um, so, uh, another, you know, Gandhi, uh, obviously a very important, uh, historical figure. It, mm -hmm. it, do you have a favorite historical figure? You know, there's that question that people throw off, like throw out, like if, if you could have dinner with any, like, you know, past, yeah. whatever, it, is there a favorite that you have? Oh God, it's hard to pick, you know, uh, people who know me would be shocked to know that I really like history and I engage with a lot of different figures. Um, there's one that I've always loved and probably always will. My, um, in high school, I was in a part of the international baccalaureate program, which is a very long story, but, uh, towards the end of it, um, you'll write some rather long for high schooler essays. And so for my history one, mine was a 2200 word essay on Bobby Kennedy. Uh, oh, okay. and it's hard to say that that was an essay. Looking back on it, it's really more of a love letter. Uh, so the fact that I got as good a grade as I did on it is impressive because it's like, no, this is not this is not an essay. This is just me turning and turning Bobby Kennedy into a saint because I love him so much. Uh, <laughs> so Bobby Kennedy's got to be, you know, number one or at least number two. Um, so. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna go with Bobby on that because otherwise I'm gonna talk to you for 20 minutes on this on this question. <laughs> well, just a callback. Not that people would really care, but the documentary I was referring to it's about Bobby Sands. Uh, yeah, 66 days. Yeah, and so uh, anyway, I watched that documentary and I knew it had to be Irish just because I remember distinctly remembering having to put the uh, closed captioning on because I could uh -huh. not understand what. <laughs> A lot of them were talking about a lot of the movie, but um, I haven't seen the um, hunger, uh, the the you know dramatization of the events. I haven't seen that movie, but after seeing the documentary, I definitely definitely wanted to go back and see yeah. that movie. Um, that yeah, because that that movie stars Michael Fassbender, who uh, you know he's an amazing actor, and so I I haven't seen Hunger, but. That's a movie I wanted to catch up with. So, actually, on that topic, just real quick, a side note: you don't have to include it in the podcast if you don't really want to. But one of my best friends at this university is from the north of Ireland, or Northern Ireland, as it is officially known as. And so, I've actually been to Northern Ireland, and in certain parts of Belfast, there are murals of Bobby Sands. Oh wow! Um, and so, I knew all about you know Bobby Sands and all that stuff from my friend talking about it. Um, and you know, he died on like day 60 or something of his hunger strike. Uh, and there's murals of him to this day in, in Belfast. So, so those were a couple of questions. So is this a movie that is Gandhi, a movie that you would recommend people watching? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I got my, my, my couple of caveats in there about the caste system and Jenna, but no, I mean, India is so massive that it's impossible to capture all of its complexities. And for a movie in 1982, this movie does a really good job, I think, of introducing you to some of the, you know, vagaries, the debates, the confusion, and the struggle, the sadness, and in some ways the triumph of Gandhi, of the independence movement. Um, it does a great job, I think, of portraying a colonized people in their, you know, search for independence. So. Definitely as an introduction to India and to issues in the independence movement, I'd say heck yeah. Yeah, I I, I totally agree as well. It was a it was a surprise for me, uh, for sure. Uh, it just, you know, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. And just, you know, and I hate saying even taking the historical <laughs> context away of it, just yeah. as a, just as a movie, I think it completely works. But just adding you know, the important things on top of that. Um, I, you know, I, it's hard for me to think that if someone, if somebody took the chance and just started this movie, I, I bet, I bet they would not turn it off. I, I, I bet they would be surprised uh, how much they're sucked in and to the performances, the scope of the story uh, and just everything that happens. And even though maybe there's some, uh, some inaccuracies here and there, you know, honestly, you can't leave without feeling like a, a smarter person. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm like going around going, Hey, do you really know about Gandhi? I think you really should check out this guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who else, how would you know about the salt March? Uh, you know, without this movie. 
so I want to set up a little tease for next week's episode. So Cameron, I, I have kind of an internal rule for our household. Uh, I don't have many rules for our house, but one is that we're not allowed to celebrate anything Christmas until after Thanksgiving. Uh, so do, do you fall on that same line of things? 100%. 100%. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so there, there, we, there's a little age gap between us. So I, I'm also a little curious, you know, everybody kind of watches, you know, holiday movies and growing up, but uh, like is a Christmas story, a, a movie that you watch as a family? Uh, a Christmas story. Oh, we God, we watched so many Christmas movies. I need to. That's the one with it's the one with Ralphie and the BB gun. I hadn't seen that until one of my best friends at this university showed it to me in first year. But I have now seen it. Oh, OK. Well, I don't know if a lot of people know, but this week, uh, HBO Max has released a, another sequel to the franchise. There's been some uh, spinoffs that have happened that have fallen flat. But this one stars Peter Billingsley reprising his role as Ralphie. And he's in a, now an adult. And so it almost feels a little bit more legit, maybe. But yeah. it's called A Christmas Story Christmas. And we'll be discussing that next week. So the episode will be releasing after Thanksgiving. So I think it's okay. I think I've cleared, you know, cleared the calendar with that pick. I concur. I concur. Well, thanks for working out the time to talk to me about this. Uh, Definitely. You know, there's a quite a bit of time difference between us. And I mean, you're officially like my first international caller into this podcast. So I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. (laughs) Uh, Yeehaw. Before I get kicked off of this podcast, uh, boomer sooner. Oh yeah, Boomer Sooner. Yeah, uh, as the time of the recording, a uh, big game, a big game tonight. Uh, yeah, so Bedlam going on. So uh, ho- hopefully the Sooners uh, farewell out from that one. So, uh, but I, I want to appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you like challenging me with this movie because, like I said, I, I don't think I would have watched it just on my own. Uh, so uh, I, I really appreciate you uh, bringing that up and uh, coming on to discuss this. Well, I'm glad you had me on here. I mean, this was it was a surprise email, but I was like, oh, screw it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, just want to remind my listeners, remember to visit moviesorlife.com uh, for everything, episodes, reviews, and more. And uh, before I sign off this podcast, uh, I was there's lots, as I mentioned, there's a lot of amazing quotes from this movie. Uh, and I was I really was personally moved by this thing. Thanksgiving uh, to a lot of people means a lot of family. And uh, for some folks, uh, it also may mean a lot of differing opinions that come to light. (laughs) And I I can't do this quote justice, especially how Bean Kingsley delivers it. But I wanted to leave it uh, with our listeners. Whenever I despair, I remember that the way of truth and love has always won. There may be tyrants and murderers, and for a time they may seem invincible. But in the end, they always fail. Think of it always.